0: You are listening to For Better Self and Net Worth. In this community, we think you'll find your self worth comes before your net worth and everything else. We also think you were designed to go after the life you want by ditching societal norms, knowing exactly who you are as an individual and going after your unique purpose here on this earth every week ella interviews an entrepreneur that designed the life they wanted among the challenges naysayers and leaving outside their comfort zone or you're going to hear straight from ella where she talks about the important lessons she's learned in life and how she's achieved the overall happiness she has This is Ella, the host for Better Self and Net Worth. Based out of Nashville, Tennessee, she makes every single day an adventure. You'll always find her right here behind the microphone, sharing all her thoughts with all of you. And we appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this episode.
1: I'm so excited to be back and sharing with you guys. We're kicking off for Better Self and Net Worth with me and my friend David Dorier. David Dorier is an expert on learning theory. He wrote an ebook called The Adult Learning Theory and talks about how adults learn. He is also an expert on public speaking and how to keep your audience engaged. So I'm really pumped about what he's going to share with us today. So, David, Tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you have been doing what you're doing, and what you're going to talk about with us today.
2: Well, thank you so much, Ella. It's such a pleasure to be here today. I have been following you for quite some time, and I am excited that I finally am able to be here as your guest tonight. Wonderful. As far as a little bit about myself, I am retired military I've also have a background in radio broadcasting, a a background in theater. I'm also a professional Santa Claus. I've been doing Santa for almost 30 years and uh, a stage actor as well. And how I ended up in this business is through my experiences in the military. I was 10 years active duty, 18 years in the reserves, all of it in logistics career field. And I was doing some training training in my unit in the early 90s because of my background in the career field. And my first sergeant observed that and said, would you like to go to Georgia, Marietta, Georgia, to be a full-time instructor for people that were coming into the reserves in our career field, air logistics? And I said, sure. I was looking for a career change at that point. And in 1995, that's when I started my career in training and development, designing training, delivering training. And I just took to it. I, this is what I have been looking for my entire life up to that point. So to make a long story short, I have now been in the training and development business for 30 years, doing everything and anything you can think of as far as designing training, delivering all types of trainer, uh, training to all types of learners, And the one thing that I found that I loved doing the most was working with subject matter experts and helping them to be classroom facilitators or trainers or managers, learning how to be effective in leading meetings or that one-off of being a speaker at a conference or running a breakout session at a conference. And I felt that I not only was good at helping them to work through their anxieties, but giving them some good feedback on their current presentation skills. So that's a little bit in a nutshell of how I ended up where I am today.
1: Wonderful. I love the story. I love that you play a professional Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. Thank you. My dad does the same. And I'm curious to hear what is the most rewarding aspect of training? You said you did instructional design. You said that you work one-on-one with people. What's the most rewarding aspect of it?
2: Well, That's another great question. So I would say that the, you know, I, I, I have an opportunity to work with many different trainers at all different levels, and I have an opportunity to ask all of them that same question. And everybody comes back to me, including myself with the same response, and that's it's that aha factor of working with a group of students or one student where the curriculum might be a little bit difficult. Maybe I need to take a different approach to the way that I'm training, the way that I'm communicating, because every, all of us have our own style of listening and conveying information. And I have to adapt as a trainer, as a facilitator, I have to adapt to everybody's learning styles in my classroom. So the, the, the thing that really excites me the most is the aha, that student that may be struggling and all of a sudden, boom, they, they get it.
1: I love that. I've been that student.
2: Hmm. I'm that, every that day. student.
1: Yeah. I was the student in school in mathematics where I just told myself that math wasn't my strength. I wasn't able to get it. And then I finally had a teacher show me algebra, and it was smooth sailing from there.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And then when it it's amazing when it clicks. I think everybody in the room can can sense it. The certainly the facilitator, if they if they're connected into that student, you definitely can feel it, and it's a, it's it's great.
1: Yeah, and I love what you said about different ways of learning, because I can tell you there's some things where. For me, I'm a hands-on learner. I have to actually be doing and implementing something. I can, I'm really pretty good about taking on to new software, but I can see training videos all day. Or you can tell me how to do something. You can show me through Zoom. But once I get my hands on it and do it myself, that's when I learn it. Yeah. Do you see that a lot with a lot of adult learners?
2: Oh, yes. There's, there's three types of learners. And what you've described would be that kinesthetic learner, the one that needs to get their hands on it, There's the visual learner, the auditory learner, and also the kinesthetic learner. Uh, I I think it's important not only to get their hands on it, what what I find that's important with adult learners is to challenge them. You, You don't want to be a facilitator that gives the adult learner everything. For example, the facilitator just talks and talks and talks. You have to challenge that adult learner. Because the more that I can challenge that adult learner, the more that they can problem solve it with either on their own or maybe in small groups or large groups, the more that that information is going to stick.
1: Yeah, it is it very important to kind of figure out where they stand. And also with public speaking, what do you see the most in public speaking as a challenge for adults?
2: Well, that's a great question. I I think that there's a, a couple of things. First of all, there, the anxiety. People will say that I I can't get up. I'm too nervous. Well, let me. I'll let you in on a little secret. Everybody's nervous yep. getting up and speaking in front of a group. And if you're nervous, then you're normal. Uh, I would think that every professional speaker. If you were to ask them, they're going to tell you the same thing. However, the difference is that as a professional speaker, we learn how to work through it or to use that nervousness as a positive to pump us up and changing changing the wording. It's not nervousness. It's now excitement. I'm excited to get up in front of this group and to tell you or or pass along this information or tell this story. Yes, nervousness is going to be there. I I was an actor on stage for close to 15 years. I was in radio broadcasting training every time I get up nervous today, coming here. You know, yep. what am I gonna talk about? Am I gonna make a mistake and am, am I gonna make a fool of myself? But you rely on the foundational skills as a speaker. To help us through it.
1: I see the nervousness. I get nervous when I interview people all the time. And Mm -hmm. I kind of see that as adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then after I'm finished. I'm like, whoa, yes, I did it.
2: Exactly. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's just one of my favorite things. And I think in every single job that you have. At some point you're going to have to present. Even if you're not presenting in front of hundreds of people. You're going to have to talk on the phone eloquently or you're going to have to be on a zoom call and talk about what you're doing or sometimes you may get put on the spot and being able to recall what it is you're working on and what it is you bring to the team Mm -hmm. what are some of the best practices you want to share with people in just improving their day-to-day speaking engagements
2: good question the well first of all let me say that to answer that question 93 percent of our message comes from nonverbals. So even before words are coming out of my mouth, my audience is already judging me based on so many different things. Let's say it's a Zoom call. If it's a Zoom call, they could be judging me on the, the lighting, the camera angle, my background, uh, how well the sound is or how bad the sound is if i'm using a powerpoint if i if i'm fumbling trying to find how do i share this again what do i click oh no i can't find this all of those little things are saying something to the audience so as a as a as a manager as a leader it's i think what's what's also important is to get good feedback because we see ourselves or we think that we see, we think we're coming across one way and, but our audience is seeing us in a very different way. So leaders, speakers, I feel have to get good feedback on a regular basis. And it has to be more than you did a great job, Dave, let's go to lunch. It has to be my eye contact, if it's, if, if it's a Zoom call, my background, my eye contact, my PowerPoint, my vocal variety, was it? did I ask enough questions? That's another thing is how well is the speaker engaging the audience? Absolutely. As a, as a speaker or as a trainer, I should use the, what I call the 70-30 rule. That seventy percent of the time, the audience needs to be engaged. Now you can't see my air quotes because we're uh, we're we're only on audio here. But there's many things that fall into the engagement bucket, and thirty percent of the time, the facilitator is facilitating or or taking the the learners through the process, and it's. It's also the same with a salesperson, with a speaker. It's important that they continuously engage their audience so that they, the audience stays emotionally connected to the content. I hope I'm not jumping all over the place, but I I love talking about this stuff. So I I hope I'm not talking, uh, I'm not bouncing all over.
1: It makes total sense to me. Okay and you've got a lot of experience. So you've got a lot to say, you've got a lot to offer. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So I think your, your your initial question was things that to look out for and, and and let me break it down into a couple of things. And number one is there are three important things when it comes to speaking in front of others. One is you've got to know your audience. Yes. And, and by not knowing your audience, all that there can, can affect the credibility. Now, one story I have, and I've told many times, it's part of a networking group. And like many networking groups, usually one of the members at one of the meetings will be able to present for seven or 10 minutes. And at this particular meeting, the architect of the group, this gentleman was a, an actual architect. And he pre- presented his seven to 10 minutes as if he was presenting at an architect convention and most of the people that are in this networking group are small business owners that have no experience with architecture and probably you know we love this guy we know him as a member but we he was talking over our heads he didn't know his audience so what happens they tune out exactly
1: exactly so
2: so number one is you have to know your audience Number two is using stories, using relevant stories. There are three parts to a story. If if you're talking about clients, if I'm going to talk through a, a story about a client that I helped, it would be number one, what was the problem that the client was facing? Number two would be what solution did I provide to this client? And number three, because I provided this solution to that problem, then they had this outcome. And if I keep it short and concise, then that should be relatable to most of my audience. And then the third part is to have a compelling closure of some sort. One piece that many people miss is having some sort of a review at the end. Many people will just say, Thank you, good night. And then that's it. They've just thrown all this data at you. And it's it's really clear in the presenter's mind but we are hearing it for the very first time so it's not only important for for the person to create an emotional connection for us but also give us some opportunity to absorb that information and one of the ways to do that would be with a review at the end
1: i like that and then you see the aha moment you could probably see that at some point during your presentation
2: Sure, sure. Or people
1: just start to get it. And knowing your audience is, you know, I think they're all super important, but it's the same reason I don't go in talking about coding languages and Figma to total strangers. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And or on fun. my
1: podcast, when it's about people wanting to start their own business and follow their dreams, I may not mm-hmm. talk about that to, you know, coding languages to everybody because they, that, I would lose them.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I love the compelling story that you have, you know, telling the story of how, what the problem was to say, the problem was not getting enough sales. Mm -hmm. Here's the solution. I used to pitch myself, okay, this is your problem and I'm the solution. And then you've got to ask those questions because you've got to make sure they took something from it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and didn't, didn't just shows off because I think. As we get older, sometimes it is harder to focus.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's a really good point because it's 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 important to, if you're if you're talking to a group face to face to keep that audience focused on on the story, on the content, on the pr- presentation. That's important, but even even more so in the Zoom world. in if, if I was able to see my audience through Zoom, all I can see is what's in that little box. And there could be all kinds of things going on outside of the little video box that I can see. I can see the individual and I can see a little bit about their background. But what's in front of that person? Are there all kinds of distractions? Do they have the TV on? Is is the family running in and out of the room, the dog, the cat, the goldfish or whatever it happens to be. So it is even that much more important on a zoom call to engage your audience, to ask questions of, of the participants, getting them to think like, imagine that you've, you've, uh, you know, using terms like, imagine that you are now doing this. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever had this happened to you? And if this happened to you, how did that make you feel? So getting them to think about times where maybe they were in that situation, knowing someone else that may have been in that situation, getting them to visualize uh, that. That so, so now they are becoming more emotionally connected to the story versus just a facilitator. And I've seen it so many times, just rambling on, rambling on rambling on and all it is and and what really gets to me is at the beginning of their presentation they said this is going to be engaging this is going to be really engaging and all they did was talk for one hour
1: and they talk and do they realize it's okay they're talking to you but do they know if they're reaching you because you can talk to somebody and you can talk at somebody and sometimes in presentations, and even I like to go in and watch some YouTube lectures, they talk at you and not to you.
2: Right. I've I've got a sign here. And it's also on my LinkedIn profile, talking and telling ain't training or selling.
1: Wow, I love that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's so true. uh, Because if if the Audience isn't engaged if they're not participating, if they're not actively problem solving. And, and I, when I first started doing this and first started learning it was when I was a first a facilitator in the military. I was training reservists on how to load aircraft, prepare cargo, drive heavy equipment, if whenever you're at the airport and you look out the window and you see all the activity that's going on around that aircraft, a lot of that same stuff was what we were training to reservists, uh, loading baggage, cargo, uh, food, and, and uh, uh, working with passengers and so on. And, and, and I would give this, and I would work with small groups, and I would give them a scenario. We, and we, we had actual equipment We had play airplanes that we would work with. And I found that in the beginning that I was giving them the solution where they would run into a problem and then I was giving them the solution. And then it occurred to me that I don't need to give them the solution. We got four very highly educated people here. Maybe they've never done this task before, but I'm gonna let them problem solve it. And, but I will be here to... To to facilitate this or to watch over this, and it, it it just changed everything about the way that I trained from that point forward.
1: I love that because that is something I think as human beings we all like to talk about ourselves. We all like to relate ourselves to a situation, and we're fixers. Mm-hmm. That's right. why sometimes if somebody comes to you with a crisis or something is going on, it can come natural to want to fix the situation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah
1: and sometimes you just you just have to listen and make sure they want to feel understood
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep great example yeah it's the same with someone who's in customer service i i've also trained a lot of folks with these same techniques in customer service that yes first of all we have to listen to the problem a lot of times the customer service folk person may get a little uh, antsy because they want everybody's going to need need a certain amount of time to explain what the problem is. And some people are going to be a little more concise and some people are going to take a lot of time to explain what the problem is. So once, once the customer service person understands the problem, they've got a couple of options at this point. Number one, they could just say, okay, what you need to do is this. But is that person going to learn from that, because now you've told them what they need to do, versus let me go ahead and ask them some probing questions and see if I can get them to figure out the solution on their own.
1: Yeah, because that's working together with them.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: That. And do you feel like your? I know your work experience played a huge part and you being an expert on speaking engagements and adult learning, what about your theater days? Because I've been told that I have a loud voice that projects quite a bit. And I learned that from theater. Do you credit your theater days as being something that has molded you into who you are today?
2: That's another great question. It's, that's a great question. Uh, Well, one of the things that I brought to the stage that, somehow I was blessed with was my voice. I've always had a, been able to project well with my voice as a kid. I didn't realize it, but people would tell me as a kid that I had a great voice and that's what, and I, and I had a fascination with radio. So I I was in radio broadcasting before I was in theater. I think that there's a number of things that I took away from theater. Number one is learning how to memorize scripts of especially long monologues. I was very lucky with a lot of the plays that I was in. I ended up getting the lead. Uh, One play, especially To Kill a Mockingbird with Atticus Finch. And there's a number of monologues, especially the monologue where he's addressing the jury. And now I was able to look at the audience and break that fourth wall and look at the audience as if each member of the audience was a member of the jury. However, uh, what I wanted to point out there was the the, the, uh, process that I learned to memorize those long monologues. And I was very proud of that and how to memorize things to the point where they become a part of you. I was an avid watcher of The Actor's Studio on Bravo and the these actors would would talk about the craft of acting and Nicholas Cage was on one time and he talked about how he well, what he used for himself to memorize which I adopted and that was to start doing things around the house start low my wife loves it She would love because I was loading the dishwasher, downloading the dishwasher, folding the clothes, helping with the laundry. Uh, One thing I couldn't do was vacuuming because I couldn't hear her with the lines. Going for a walk. The more that you can do everyday things while you're saying your lines, the more that they are now ingrained in you. They become a part of you. So it's not just David on stage Uh, of just spitting out lines it's now david the character on stage who is actively listening and and reacting to the other uh the other uh, actor so another thing i learned was how important listening is it's like a ping pong match you throw me a line i throw you a line and we're reacting to each other and i guess the other thing i took away from it was me working through my anxieties my self-consciousness, my insecurities. When I first started acting on stage, it wasn't easy. I had all these voices in my head telling me I was no good. I shouldn't be here. The audience is laughing at not you, the character, David. They're laughing at you because you're an idiot. And so working through that stuff on stage.
1: Yeah, that that's huge. I I I was also a theater kid and you know when you're a theater kid in high school you're oftentimes you're performing in front of people who don't appreciate the craft as much as you do Mm -hmm. but the biggest thing for me is just focusing on the energy of the stage focus on the energy of the play and the people around you yeah
2: yeah 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 and and there's something magical about that when you when you're in that moment when you're having that ping pong match with the other actors on the stage and you're, and that's all there is. And you feel like you've got the audience in the palm of your hand and, and there's nothing more magical than that.
1: Yeah. It's just, and the feeling you get after the play mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on stage. And I, I go to TPAC, um, Tennessee Performing Arts Center and I go to a lot of concerts, and at the very end, I feel that energy with them, the performers themselves. Yeah. yeah. Because I just know how magical that is. I also love what you said about doing chores while you're saying your lines, while you're memorizing your lines. For mm-hmm. me, it's very helpful to listen to podcasts or mm-hmm. to think about the things that I'm learning as I'm walking. Mm-hmm. or at the gym, or even sometimes when I'm doing something like typing emails or something organizational, but I'm definitely going to try to implement that more folding clothes, loading the dishwasher that might make my chores more pleasurable, mm-hmm. Right, right. but the memorizing your lines or anytime you're on a phone call or showing up for a podcast, thinking mm-hmm. about what you're going to say as you're performing the chores. So I really love that practice that you shared.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Nicholas Cage. I I learned it from him on that program of the actor's studio.
1: That's the show I want to watch.
2: It's not being, uh, I, I, I don't think there's any current episodes, but there are probably a ton of them that are available on YouTube somewhere. And it's all about the craft of acting. It's not about like you see on these late night talk shows of what what is coming up and what new movie and so on. It's, it's all about the craft of acting. And the one thing that you'll hear from all of these actors is the importance of listening. And that's also important as a, as an instructor, as a speaker is listening to your audience and being able to react to your audience. Yes. And, that's
1: yeah. the best way to know your audience.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have to get comfortable. It, 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 for, it, it doesn't come easy. I know that when I was first on stage, my lines were mechanical and it was, I I learned my lines to the point where all I was listening for was my cue line and knew that once I heard this word, then I knew it was my time to talk. And, and I would, and, and if I paused or if I, um, gave any sort of expression that i would i would forget my lines and i was so wrapped up and i had it was mechanical and at some point it changed and that's when it become it became magical and became um, fun now
1: have you i don't know that i can recall any time i forgotten my lines but have you
2: Yes, there was one time. Well, I'm sure there was more than once. But I, I, but it was at a time where these lines were a part of me. And this one instance that I remember, for some reason, I jumped ahead two or three pages. And my, the the young lady playing my wife who was on stage with me, had this fear just in her In her face, and somehow I I was able to read her well enough to know that I, or I guess I was coming up on a line. Now that I was three pages ahead of where I needed to be, and realized, oops, I made a mistake. But I knew the lines well enough that I was able to go back. And uh, she came up to me later. How the hell did you do that? How did you know (laughs) to go back? And and that just goes to the power of getting those lines sunk in deep within you.
1: Yeah, I think I remember there was one part in high school that I really wanted that was Patty Simcox in Greece, mm-hmm. and it was also my freshman year. I was bound and determined to get that part. I remembered every single line before I even auditioned.
2: Mm-hmm. That's great.
1: It's That's great. It, yeah, it's just something. I think when you're really passionate about something, it mm-hmm. comes easier. Yeah, yeah to exactly. learn it, but mm-hmm. like everybody else. You can freeze up. You can forget what you're going to say. And that's why just holding your craft on public speaking and presenting is just so important. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's, I, I call it the ABCs. You've got to know, like in any craft, you've got to know your foundational skills, the, the ABCs. To be a good carpenter, you need to know your ABCs, how to work with your equipment, of uh, measuring twice and cutting once. Of being a, a mason or or an airline pilot or whatever your craft happens to be, there are basic foundational skills to anything, and it's the same with public speaking. Uh, I don't know if I've said this already, but I you mentioned earlier what are some of the some of the th- problems or some of the challenges that people face as public speakers and I think one of them is that people automatically associate being a subject matter expert automatically makes you a great speaker or a great trainer or a great presenter. And if this subject matter expert doesn't understand the craft of speaking, then that subject matter expert can be an even worse trainer, because many times that subject matter expert will come into the room and just just bombard their audience with way too much information.
1: That's true. That's or even, cool. go ahead. Or, or even if they're subject matter experts, they can come across as condescending.
2: It could be true. Sure. Yes. Because a lot of times we don't even realize how we come across to others. I'm perceiving that I'm coming across in a very pleasant way with you right now. But Absolutely. It could be coming across and everybody is going to be different. It, 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 your reaction to me could be one way. Someone else's reaction to me could be another way. Somebody else can hear me in a whole different way. So everybody hears, we all hear differently. We all learn differently. We all communicate differently.
1: That's fantastic. Well, this has been such valuable information. I know it's something I'm going to go back and listen to you continue to keep in mind is there anything you want to leave with the audience
2: yes uh i, I guess i can leave a little bit of plug for myself or or oh, if, please do if, if anyone is if is having problems uh, for example if someone needs to give a presentation and doesn't know where to start that's where i can help someone if someone is having anxiety around giving a presentation first of all having anxiety is normal, but I can help them work through that anxiety, help them build a a presentation that will be engaging. Maybe you've given a presentation in the past and you would like feedback on that, Uh, whether it's training, whether it's a, it's a, a sales pitch, I can give you some feedback on it. I love doing this. I feel that I'm good at it. I have a good, I'll use the term bedside manner when it comes to giving people feedback because when it comes to giving people feedback about their public speaking it's like giving them feedback on their naked body they're very sensitive about how they are coming across and they a lot of people get a little bit insecure about their public speaking the feedback or um, they get uh, very uh, protective of that
1: yeah yeah it's not It's not easy to take criticism ever, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you're super passionate about what you do just by how you talk about it. And you're just a very, again, you said it, you're a very pleasant person to engage with. Thank you. Great storyteller. And the fact that you play Santa Claus just makes everything so much better.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Who, Who better to get presentation skills training from than Santa Claus?
1: Yes especially if somebody needs to give themselves an early Christmas present or just an early go. present in general. There you and go. Are, are you on social media?
2: Yes, I am on LinkedIn. You can find me with David Dorier. My website is presentyourwaytosuccess.com. And I'm on Facebook, on Twitter, and um, always willing to answer any questions that folks have and to help out any way I can when it comes to facilitating meetings, making a presentation, or giving you feedback.
1: Wonderful, David. Thank you so much for joining us. And I will include your information in the show notes. I know so many people will look forward to connecting with you. And thank you again for sharing so much of your valuable success tips with us.
2: Great. Thank you, Ella.
0: We're listening to For Better Self and Net Worth. In this community, we think you'll find your self worth comes before your net worth and everything else. We also think you were designed to go after the life you want by ditching societal norms, knowing exactly who you are as an individual and going after your unique purpose here on this earth. Every week, Ella interviews an entrepreneur that designed the life they wanted among the challenges, naysayers, and leaving outside their comfort zone. Or you're going to hear straight from Ella, where she talks about the important lessons she's learned in life and how she's achieved the overall happiness she has. This is Ella, the host for Better Self and Net Worth. Based out of Nashville, Tennessee, she makes every single day an adventure. You'll always find her right here behind the microphone, sharing all her thoughts with all of you. And we appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this episode.